Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today I'm with Robert Boonhage. Hopefully I said that in a somewhat okay English style. You can let people know yeah, your name in yeah, it's good Swedish, enough. It's right? good enough. Yeah, it's uh, Robert Brunhage in Swedish. But yeah, you can say Brunhage or whatever it kind of feel makes most sense, I guess. Yeah, Bobby is okay, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, he is a, you're a GDE also, right? Yeah, so he's a GDE in Flutter, and he's most known for his courses or his videos on um, YouTube. And yep. also, most recently, he has his Ultimate Flutter course out, which I feel like everybody's starting to do these days. I think uh, Andreas yeah. got his coming out soon. <laughs> so that's the that's the in thing to do now is you do your Ultimate Flutter course. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. But I think you're kind of the OG, and at least for me. Uh, Anyways, we're we're here to bring you on to talk about your course, right? I I finished the course. I was I was pretty happy with it. I think I gave yep. you some feedback before. So yep. of course, not every course is going to be 100 percent right yep, for sure. everybody. But I think you covered a lot of things and you taught me some stuff I, I never knew about before. And I'm not a beginner, I would say, to Flutter. So yep. I think it's definitely a course that people should check out. Sweet, that's awesome to hear. Well, I mean, like, uh, is is your course actually for for? It's not for beginners necessarily. It's really for somebody from all. Yeah, so the sorts. aim, yeah, the aim from like my original aim for it was that I, I wanted to make a course that I wanted to have kind of when I was more towards like the intermediate. And so usually what I see courses do is like they have six, 10, 20, 30 hours of kind of course material. And that's typically not what I'm looking for. I don't typically want to waste my hours looking at videos and not really doing anything. Like my, my goal for when I want to learn something is to actually kind of do and kind of apply what I'm learning. And so the original goal was aimed to, or the goal still is to aim towards intermediates and make the course kind of cover the things that I feel are most important, but still keep the the length really short by kind of heavily editing the videos instead. Uh, So instead of having like normal kind of, I guess, screencast instead, more focused on towards editing and making kind of the videos faster. Um, and that's, that's kind of the goal and I'm pretty happy with it so far. I have some updates coming, but it's kind of like hectic during my normal job. So, um, still, still, uh, working on it, I guess. Well, maybe we can go over, uh, kind of quickly about your experience with Flutter. I mean, you've been around yeah. for Flutter since really the early days, right? Yeah, I guess I started with Flutter some, sometime in 2018, I think. I think it was when they announced the, like, I guess, beta or first announced the beta on YouTube, on like the more, the normal Google YouTube channel. Um, That was when I got introduced to it. And that was around the same time I was looking into kind of different cross-platform solutions. Um, And it just kind of caught my eye and I dabbled into it and then I kind of got hooked to it, I guess. What was the part that hooked you in? Um, I guess the, the main thing was probably the ease of like getting into making the UI. Um, so at that, like at that time I was looking into, um, Xamarin, React Native, um, and some of the other solutions I can't really remember now. Um, and one of the most, I guess, tricky parts with all of those solutions. And I guess the most tricky part with the native solutions as well was making the UI parts. Um, and that really just got me stuck. And like after, after getting into that part, then I kind of got hooked with all of the other things as well. 
So the URL really got you uh, kind of really addicted, right? Like, was it also the hot yeah. code reload that kind of really got you excited too? Uh, excuse me? What about the hot code reload? I mean, that must be pretty exciting. I think that was from day oh, yeah, one. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I guess I, I, I kind of did it at the same time when trying out Xamarin. And Xamarin at that time, at least, didn't have any kind of, like, kind of hot reload or reload in any kind of way. Um, so just making any kind of UI like update with Xamarin compared to Flutter was like night and day. And I, I guess that was one of the turning points of me <laughs> not wanting to use Xamarin because kind of at the same time, I was kind of into learning some like learning designs uh, in general or learning design. And then just applying that made it feel a lot more nice in general to do with Flutter. Well, actually, let's talk a little bit about your background, right? Because I'm yeah. sure at that time, you, this was not your first time programming, right? No, 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 it wasn't. Yeah, when, when was your first start getting into programming? Let's let's talk about that. Um, I I actually got into it quite late in general. Uh, so I think it was end of 2016 or early 2017 or something like that. Um, at that time, I was a substitute teacher and I didn't really know what I wanted to, to do in general. Uh, I was mainly into the track of becoming a teacher in regards to IT. Um, and at that time, my my friend was in kind of a kind of a work course, six month course or something like that here in Sweden, which was targeted towards like C sharp development, uh, SharePoint, Microsoft kind of solutions. Um, and at the same time, I kind of wanted to learn programming. I just was kind of because uh, kind of just want to learn it in general. Um, so I started learning C sharp, and then. After his course was kind of done, we got into, he got recommended a like uh, education, work education here in Sweden. That was like half an, one and a half year, two years. Um, and we searched that together and we got into it. And that was primarily towards like Microsoft, SharePoint, C Sharp um, and web development. Um, and, I, and I enjoyed that quite a bit. And at the same time, I was kind of doing a lot of the things on this side. So like while I went to, um, to the education or course, I, I did a lot of kind of C sharp development in general. I want to learn unity. I want to learn mobile development. So I was in like learning Android development and kind of a bit all over the place, trying to figure out what I actually want to do. Um, and then sometimes like in the, I guess in the middle sometime in that course or that, um, uh, uh, during that time, I was getting more and more into Android development, and I thought that was kind of fun. Um, and then towards, like, I guess the end, that was around um, Flutter announcement, and that, I guess that was the time when I really got hard to into getting into mobile development. And then that kind of used spiral. So I kind of wanted to... Like when, when at the time I got into Flutter, there was not a lot of content in general. Like it was really hard finding information. And most places where you could ask questions was like live, like messaging places. I think one was called Glitter or something like that. And there's no, like no content in general. I think, I think Pawan was one of the main, main one. Uh, and then, yeah, I kind of want to teach kind of, I guess my original route wanted to kind of teach somewhere. Uh, so I kind of want to teach things that I just picked up on uh, pick up, uh, or picked up on in general. 
And then, yeah, that kind of just spiraled. So I did, like at that time, I worked with uh, uh, web development as my day job. Um, and then, yeah, and then I guess it just kind of went on. I just did more kind of videos and then I got into uh, more web development at the same time, did a lot of Flutter development, got into a, uh, got into working at Volvo as Android um, engineer, and then worked more with cross-platform like frameworks and then got into, yeah, kind of used spiral towards, towards that, I guess. So, I mean, uh, since you're already doing Android at the time, I heard that like when you go from Android to Flutter, it's like so many things are just become so much easier. Because yeah. like Android, there's a lot of setup, especially like, I think it's like, um, I forgot, but like basically I heard somebody saying that doing a list view in Android is yeah. just so much more complicated than yeah. Flutter, right? I, I guess at the time, like uh, when I worked with Android the most, I worked with very kind of like, um, the it's called the AOSP, so the Android Open Source uh, Project, which is just like, we, we worked a lot on the, kind of the, how do you say, uh, like the, the main kind of core ground of UI or project of Android, like when you pull down a notification system, so, something like that, like all the, for example, Samsung skins, the, the UI of Android, Xiaomi skins, the, the UI of Android and so on. That was kind of the main work that I did. And at the same, like at that time, or at the same time, I, when I worked with Android at my spare time doing um, yeah, doing like list views or in this case, recycler views, um, those kind of part was just, uh, I guess painful is to say the least. Uh, and then comparing that to flutter, it was just like, you didn't really have to think about those. And I guess I, I don't really want to think about those parts because I feel like those things should be handled automatically, but yeah, I kind of debate the topic, I guess then. <laughs> I mean, is there ever a time when you're like, man, I wish, I wish this thing from Android wasn't Flutter because it was just so much easier? Or is it really just like, wow, this is just, I don't even want to think about what it was like to do stuff in Android? Uh, I guess the, the main things is not Android specific, as like specific that I liked. It was more regards to the language. So I was using Kotlin most of the times. Uh, so there are a lot of like language specific features that I'm missing, such as like uh, data classes uh, and coming from like, from doing websites with like TypeScript and something like that and stuff like that using union types and, and just kind of language features that I'm kind of missing in Dart still. Um, that's, I guess the, the main parts that I'm still kind of missing. Um, but I don't particularly miss anything specific doing like Android UI related or code related, like uh, using Kotlin has its own upsides and downsides, I guess. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Kotlin is definitely uh, a newer language, right? And I do like yeah. a lot of the ideas of Kotlin. Kotlin's a little bit similar to to Dart, where it's like, I don't think they have a hot code reload necessarily, but they definitely have the, like, you can compile to native, you can compile to JavaScript. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that you can do. And I even seen that there's a book about it called You Can Build DSLs with Kotlin, which I have no idea. So, like, I'm starting to look at Kotlin in, in a whole yeah. new light, right? Uh, speaking of that, have you looked at KMM before? Uh, I've, I've like pretty much just read upon it. Uh, I haven't really worked with it any, uh, like anything, but it sounds interesting. Like any kind of, I guess, how would you say it? Kind of competition to Flutter is good. Uh, 
So I'm not particularly person that feels like, yeah, Flutter is the end goal, Flutter is the end solution. Like if there is another solution that comes up that is better, um, then I'm not the person to say that that's a, a bad way to kind of go. Sure, I still hope that the, the end solution will be Flutter because that's what I'm putting most of my time towards. But Yeah, I just want to say like for people who don't know what is KMM, KMM stands for Kotlin Multi... Oh, yeah, the last stuff one. like that. Yeah, I know it's multi-platform, but multi-something now. Multi, multi-mobile or something? I forgot what uh, it's called. Kotlin Multi-Platform Mobile. Okay, so it is multi-platform, okay. Yeah. So uh, just to kind of give you guys an idea about it. So the idea is that you'd build your shared business logic for all the only mobile platform, right? Which is something that that Flutter definitely does more of. And, um, but the UI, you still have to do natively. I don't think you may be able to still do the UI with Flutter or something. I would think you, you probably should be able to, but but in any case, I mean, you, you, they expect that you do all the platform uh, specific UI by itself, which I thought was a huge turnoff because it's like, well, then what, what the hell's the point? I can just do this with C or any other kind of language or Dart even. And, you know, like what's, what's the point? Like. To me, the hardest part of any project, and I think you feel the same, is the UI. That's the stuff that everybody sees. I haven't like looked into KMM or KMM too too much. I can't say like too much in that regards. But yeah, the 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 biggest factor I feel like is especially if you're handling multi-platform is the UI, uh, because you have so many different platforms to kind of handle. And I, and personally, I want the the solution or your library or framework or whatever you want to call it to handle as much like as many parts of the UI depending on the system as much as possible I guess I don't kind of want to handle too much of that myself well it's kind of interesting because like if you compare the two of the most popular uh, cross-platform frameworks for at least for mobile you have react native and you have uh, flutter I would say and they really do two separate ends right where like react native is like okay we're going to use the native bits but still gave you the common language. And then for Flutter, it's like, no, forget about the native platform. We're yeah. going to do our own rendering engine. So it's kind of interesting to see the difference of the two. And yeah. KMM is, again, kind of saying, okay, you, even even worse, <laughs> you have to do it for every single platform from scratch. Uh, good luck. Um, but we yeah. love Kotlin. Okay, so, okay, fine. But Xamarin is another beast, right? I actually have yeah. no idea how the hell Xamarin works, other than I think you have to use C Sharp for that one. Yeah. And I guess it compiles to native, similar, right? Yeah, it's... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's doing pretty much the same or a similar thing as React Native, uh, but don't quote me on that. Uh, but yeah, it's using the native kind of UI, um, but you can define most of it in kind of, um, I guess, SAML for like the 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 kind of define the UI in in Xamarin, but it's compiled to to the native kind of text views and things like that. Which to me seems like a huge step backwards. It's like, wait a minute, I got to go back to XML. Come on, man. I, I, I mean, every, <laughs> yeah. I found it really weird to build a UI with with XML. Same thing with Android, yeah. right? Like, are you actually able to understand what the heck you're doing when you're doing this stuff? I guess it's like, it's as like as any kind of different solution. You kind of get into the habit of doing it. Um, it's still, for me, like personally, I still feel like I have to give a lot more like cognitive thought towards like what the UI is actually displaying by watching the code. Like if you compare it kind of to Flutter where you have the declarative kind of style or any kind of Swift UI or whatever, um, just kind of watching the tree, you kind of get a very fast understanding on how the UI will actually compose in the final kind of end solution or the app. Uh, I think like personally, I still think that that's uh, a lot harder to do with 
XML or SAML kind of solutions. Yeah, the other thing too, uh, which is quite interesting, is that now Android has a new way of doing UIs, right? Yeah. Which is similar to to Flutter, where it's more code based with Jetpack Compose. Have you tried to play around with that yet? Um, I haven't actually. So I I just kind of read upon it a bit. Um, to my understanding, when at the time I was watching it or looking into it a bit, uh, at least it was like very beta or alpha. I'm not sure if it is still. I guess Swift UI is still the the most complete solutions of them too. Uh, but yeah, I haven't watched uh, like looked into it too much. Now that's quite surprising because I have a client who is they're doing completely native apps for both Android and iOS, yeah. which makes sense for them, right? I try telling them, hey, you guys should look at Flutter, but you know that cross-platform solutions always get the label of uh, you're giving up something big to have yeah. this cross-platform, right? And um, what they're running into is basically like uh, iOS has been the most unstable product. And okay, they went yeah. from Swift UI from the beginning. Okay, and it's yeah. like when they, they start, this app is at least one or two years old. And so like they did it from the very beginning with Swift UI. And it was like at the beginning, they felt so limited. Now it's getting better. Yeah. But like, uh, the biggest issue with iOS, and I'm I'm thinking you probably ran into this before, is that you find that like all of a sudden patch releases of the iOS are working differently across. Yeah. Have you had this before? Uh, so not specifically, but yeah, you can. It not just can, but you do for sure. Like um, uh, this really this happened to me where like I was doing deep linking, yeah. and for some weird reason, between fourteen three four and fourteen three five or something, it was like the same behavior. Or three three and three five was the same. Yeah. Or three point four was like totally different for some weird reason. So I had to handle that one. Yeah, I guess that kind of happens. Like for for me personally, that happens usually in <laughs> I guess in Android uh, because they they are very heavily like with introducing kind of new systems and don't remove the old system and not too good at I guess handling the old the old deprecated code in this case. And you have to have a lot of different implementation to kind of handle all of the different like newer Android system or newer Android solutions and things like that. Uh, so I guess like I would assume it kind of goes both ways. Uh, like anytime you have to handle more kind of closer to hardware with different like uh, versions of um, the system, it will always kind of get to to those points, I guess. It's interesting. I, I, like I said, for it's really weird because for me, it's like Android's been the most stable. Yeah. The only thing that was an issue was like one package that had an Android X problem where like yeah. it wasn't updated for Flutter. And then like, uh, it was funny, like I traced it down to, it the, the ironic part was that it was a, it was a package that's supposed to catch errors and send the error report. And that package was the one that was actually causing explosions. Yeah. So it was nice. very ironic when that happened. So that, that otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been fun, but I think, I feel like a little bit like an OG because like I, I was at the part where like Android X was kind of coming out or yeah. not coming out, but it was a big thing, right? The upgrade yeah. project to that for, for that. And then like uh, just before the um, no safety. So now everything's no safety and I feel like that's super yeah. stable now. And so it's like, I lived through all this stuff and I'm just yeah, telling I all these new kids, new yeah. kids, you don't know what you're talking about, man. We had to always <laughs> say, if this is not equal to no, you yeah. missed out on, on the fun stuff, man. The most, the two most pain parts with Flutter was like the transition with, for Android with Android X and then the transition from for null safety and all of the breaking changes and all of the like fail compilation of the app and all of this like very verbose error messages everywhere. Uh, 
now we're kind of gotten past those parts. So now it's pretty smooth sailing. I'm curious, what is that going to be the next change? I mean, do you have any idea about what may happen? Or, I mean, I know that you get some information, but you're not allowed to share. Yeah. I guess, like, from my point of view, uh, would be like the biggest change we will probably see is when kind of the the term or metaprogramming comes, like, kind of comes in. And that's kind of like, to my, I haven't like looked into it too much, but to my to my understanding, like code generation on steroids, kind of. Uh, and whenever you kind of, it can be very nice. Like you can have very cool solutions and generate code for pretty much anything you kind of want, like union types and things like that, or data classes. Uh, the part where I'm scared of is this is uh, what people kind of will will build with this. So right now we see with Dart because it's kind of a simple language, like all of the Flutter projects looks kind of similar, like similar in general, uh, in, in regards to how like code is structured or code is written. But when when you incorporate a lot of like uh, code generation or in in the upcoming like metaprogramming, I feel like we will see a lot of kind of ways doing things that doesn't really make sense to a typical Dart developer until you actually use that specific like uh, I guess part solution. Very similar to how Kotlin is kind of hard for beginners because it has a lot of different, like it's it's a kind of different paradigm for how you how you do certain things. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like Kotlin's kind of like slapping lipstick on a pig. Maybe it looks nah, slightly yeah. more sexy, but you know, you still have the underlying JVM yeah. to deal with, which is. Yeah. I heard good things, but to be honest, I always just remember the bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the biggest pain point for me is like, they say it's very fast, but it needs some time to kind of warm up. So that's like the negative part for me. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, yeah. I know that Remy was saying that like the new metaprogramming is like, basically it could, you don't need to use build runner anymore for some of his projects. I believe was what he was telling me if I remember correctly. Yeah. I'm not too, too sure in regards to how, how it actually will kind of work. I've seen some parts where they kind of go kind of have. Not Remy specifically, but the the Dart team, like on the oh, I can't remember which, uh, like the Flutter community channel, where um, oh, I can't remember his name. Uh, one of the Dart developers, at least, showcased some parts of the metaprogramming. Um, it looked like really fast and really nice. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's kind of early stages still, um, but interesting to say the least. I mean, the tricky part of metaprogramming is like it, so it's going to be on the fly, runtime based, right? Yeah. So or, that's going to yeah, be a little bit probably. hard to de- that might be a little bit hard to debug and see what the heck is going on. Depends on how you write it. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, it's not it's not a downgrade from uh, Build Runner. <laughs> um, hopefully, it's a hopefully it's a big upgrade. But yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, they don't release something that's uh, a downgrade of a current solution. Yeah, Build Runner was always kind of a little bit painful for me. It's a little bit slow, yeah. I think, but I guess it depends yeah. on what you're doing with it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, let, maybe we can go back to, to your course. Okay, so or, or no, we could talk more about how you kind of came over here, right? So you fell yeah. in love with Flutter. You started producing content. People, I suppose, are catching on. Uh, then I suppose you got approached to be a GDE. You applied. And, you know, from there, like, you just kind of fell in love, right? That's kind of the short yeah. story. I guess, like, I'm probably one of the people that gotten, like, GDE the slowest, I would just, like, say. Like for, for me, I started probably making videos like right around when I 
a bit later than when I actually started with Flutter, so sometime late 2018 or 2018 or something like that. And it didn't have, like, I didn't get a GD until like two or three years later. And that's like after I made, I guess, countless of videos, um, doing a lot of like helping different forums and things like that. So it, it's always fun to see like when I, I get in like tons of messages on how do you become GDE and things like that. And when I look into those people's like work in general, they haven't really worked with it for more than like a couple of months. And I'm like, yeah, wait a couple of years. <laughs> I, I kind of like my, my goal with working with Flutter was not to become a GD. Um, it's nice to actually get kind of the, I guess the kind of the stamp of approval or so, how, or however you kind of want to, to call it or frame it. But that was never like my initial goal. Um, I think you have to have like, I, I guess that's in, in terms with kind of anything. I, I feel like you should aim towards doing what you think is more fun and more rewarding. And then kind of the, the results will come after that. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I mean, if you love it, then you'll be more into it and people can really feel yeah. that. And just, uh, what's the word for that? They'll, um, yeah, they'll see that and then they'll be more interested, right? Yeah. Like if you have an end goal of becoming a GD, what happens if you never become a GD? Then you will like have work, then you wouldn't have fun like doing what you want. You want to kind of in general have as a end goal. So we have a friend of the show, Mike Reidstrom is saying, hi guys, dropping by to listen in. Sweet. Hey, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, this course, right? What kind of got you to excited to actually start doing the course? Because that's a lot of work, right? I think you realized that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, like I had a, a goal of making a course for a long time. Um, I guess the, the parts that made me not do it to begin with was that like making videos is a completely different thing in regards you don't have any kind of I guess you don't have any kind of pressure with making videos more than your own kind of standard of like releasing x videos a month or releasing this kind of quality video you don't have any like all of those um like points are more like self-set regards to like or comparing to a course where you you kind of have to push towards making the, the people buying the course or utilizing the course happy to, with the end, like the end result. Um, so I guess I want to, to, I had a goal of making it, I guess, in 2020 or something like that. And then it's just kind of been on and off. Like if I want to make a course, I want to make it like quick. I had a couple of like goals for myself that I want to do if I would release a course. And that kind of just went like, on and off each time. Sometimes I worked really hard at my day job, which just made it like I didn't want to make videos. And that I kind of that time I didn't want to make a course either. And then kind of just over time, I kind of just want to I code it at a side project at the same time, making UI, like designing things. And then at the end or like later on, kind of just I kind of just decided to create a course. Um, hoping that it would help some people and it kind of got bigger than I expected, <laughs> I guess. Um, it was never like my intention. I just kind of want to, I want to make a course that I would be happy with. Um, and it's, it's a lot of things that you don't kind of know when making a course, like 
Yeah, I, I guess the the biggest thing like that I didn't know of in regards was kind of in general just more stress. Like having a course compared to making videos is a lot more stress. Like having your like I guess you can relate to having your own consultancy or like companies a lot more stress than just going to the job, going home and then do whatever you want to do on your kind of free time. Um so I guess it was just like I just want to finish one of the goals that I set for myself. Um and then getting the experience to kind of see what I want to go from there, I guess. But doing the course, you must have also learned a lot yourself, right? Because it's hard to teach yeah. something without really understanding everything from A to Z. Yeah. But when you're doing the work, you can just understand a little bit of A, a little bit of Z, and maybe B, C, D, and then yeah. that's it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when when I made the course in general, it, I probably spent most of the time actually like writing the code. Um, and that's kind of the hard things with making videos or making courses in general. You have to... For for making just one like one video, you have to um, make the code, or depending on how you actually record. In my case, I I, I code out the whole project. I um, and this and this is regards to the course, I guess. I code out the whole project. I structure it in a way where every commit is a is a if is a video, and then I go to that specific commit. I have to remove all of the parts in the specific order that I want. I record those parts. I then put it into the editing program. I use Premiere Pro and then I like do the voiceover, do the editing. And it's a lot like a lot of like parts or full kind of parts used to get one, one video out. And then the hard part, I guess, is to make that, uh, I guess, cohesive. Like if you compare to just like recording yourself for three hours, just coding a project, it's it's easier to make that cohesive because you can kind of follow the flow of just making the whole project in three hours, I guess, um, compared to if you split out that into specific videos where you do one video like completely separate. Um, the, the main struggle is actually keeping it cohesive and feel like you don't kind of miss too much like jumping between uh, videos in this case. Yeah, and I remember that uh, one of the complaints I had with you and I just voiced directly to you, I was like, yeah. man... I uh, what was it? I was like, can you just tag these things? Because it's like, you yeah. update the Git hashes and I'm all messed up right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's one thing that I feel like is still hard to kind of satisfy everyone. So what I have do, or what I've done is I keep every commit like specific to a, to a lecture and there's a lot of different approaches. Some people like to create one pull request for every like lecture, um, multi, like just keeping the project and then just not having a commit related to a lecture. Instead, you just have the project and you can look into the project. Uh, I wanted to have it so that you can always, whenever you take the course or whatever you do, anything, I want to be able to go to a specific commit, see the changes. And if I want to update, uh, let's say, the second lecture of module two or whatever, I wanted that kind of commit to be completely updated to that lecture. I didn't want to have a another commit in the end to say uh, update lecture to or whatever. I want to always like that specific commit should be in regards to what that lecture is going to to explain. Um because like I guess from from making videos in general, um I've learned that when you that the hardest part when when making videos is that they become they become outdated. And when people watch the like source code, 
the source code has been completely or a bit changed compared to the video and then uh, vice versa kind of. Um, and it's really hard to keep track of and people get kind of confused either way, like whatever kind of solution you kind of end up with. Um, and then one other goal I want to have with making every commit a, a lecture was to be able to, because I use rebasing a lot in Git, um, it just means kind of rewriting the history. Uh, and that means that if I change lecture two of the first module, I want to be able to change the code of that lecture. And I want that to kind of happen on all of the subsequent commits. And I, um, I guess that's one of the parts that I want to keep the structure the way it is to both make it simpler for me, as well as kind of having it make some kind of sense at least. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, makes sense. But I think also, uh, if you use a tag, you'll still be tagging to a specific commit. So as long as you yeah. have the tag, then it should be fine. I think before you're just using links to a specific commit, which as you yeah. as you rebase and change stuff, it's going to be changing every single time. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. I have to look into if I can actually put the tags and see if that that changes their base. Uh, if it doesn't, I will probably do that. Um, but yeah, Shouldn't hopefully. Because what I understand about a tag is like, it's basically like a sticky note that you like drop yeah. on a commit. So I think what I've done open. now is just link into the repository in general and then just pointing towards just clicking on the commit. Um, but yeah, I will have to improve that either way, I think. Yeah, but I could totally relate because I'm working on my own course still. I'm almost yeah. done with it. Just need to get a couple more things done. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been using tags just because it's been easier and keep the master as kind of like the most updated one and then let everybody yeah. kind of go off of that. Yeah, I've had to look into it a bit more, for sure. It's it's tough though, because aren't you like, you know, when you put your code out, you don't, you're not afraid of people like saying, hey, you could do this better with this and you don't, don't you know what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I've kind of, kind of become a bit immune to that in regards to like making videos in general. Like when I started making videos, that was super early in like, I guess, Flutter timeline. So pretty much all code that you put out at that time was bad compared to now. Um, and I still get a lot of views in general on my oldest videos. And I don't really know why, because they are like, they're really hard to watch, especially for me, at least, I guess it sometimes helps others. And that's the main reason I still have them up. But like, people still leave comments like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. This is uh, like, you get this error message because it doesn't have, in this case, null safety or, um, you could do it in this way because it makes a lot more sense to structure the UI in this way or structure the code in this way. And I guess um, for me, the the main part for like personally is that the code the code will never be like perfect, if that makes sense. Like what I see is the most important part with coding, I guess almost in general, is that when you learn something new and when you feel like it makes sense for a project, you refactor. Like you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't like, just because you learned one way of doing it doesn't mean that will always be the complete correct way of doing it. Like if you work, for sure, maybe it works great in a project with 10 files, but what if you have a project with 100 files or 10,000 files or whatever? Um, sometimes it makes a lot more sense to put that code snippet in the same file as another file. Uh, or in the same file as that related code, or sometimes you want it in a separate file. Um, it kind of, so what I really 
what I really advocate for is just learning more things in general, like learning different ways to code the same thing. And then over time, you will have more ways to understanding how you can refactor projects and making it better. Um, because you will never, I guess personally, I have never done it and I have never seen anyone that do it. It's like starting with a perfect project and it never touches old files again. Like you will always touch the old files and maybe it's a year or two from now, but you will do it and you will have more understanding of how you can refactor it to make it better. Hopefully that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, it does make sense. But sometimes some things just work and you just kind of don't don't touch it. You're like, okay, this yeah. this code, like I think you even put a comment on like, okay, this code, it, it works. Not sure why, just just don't do not touch all in caps. Yeah. So nobody touches it. Yeah, and I guess those parties I've seen that too in a bunch of big projects also. And I feel like those sometimes I, I usually don't touch them because I don't want to handle the, <laughs> the cognitive overhead of actually touching them. But sometimes you have to be aware that that part may not work in, uh, as we're working in Android, like, or mobile development, that part may not work in Android 12 or Android 13. And then you have to touch it. And then what do you do if you don't know, like, the regards to how things work in general, but if you have never worked with like writing that kind of piece of code, like in, in those regards, you have to kind of refactor it, you have to make it work. And the more kind of you, you, you touch things that you don't want to touch in code, the more kind of experience you get with those pieces. And then you can kind of make the code better in general. Um, I feel like as a, as a developer in general, you have to have a, um, or you don't have to, I've seen Many people don't care in general, but you have to have a kind of drive to make code or to create code that you're proud of and not just like, yeah, okay, this code piece works. Now you can just leave it and never touch it again. I feel like refactoring and making it up to date with what you think is the correct way is a, it's a great way to actually learn and improve and not just uh, be stagnant in like pieces of your, I guess, development journey or whatever you call it. But sometimes there are, there are times when you don't want to touch piece of code, you don't have time for it. And that's, that's perfectly fine. Like perfectly fine as well. I think the one thing that really bugs me is like when I'm working with some developers, um, usually it's newer ones and it makes sense because they're still new, obviously. Yeah. And w what I hear like is, uh, um, you know, like, like I asked uh, a developer I just hired and I asked him to, to fix this code because it wasn't working. I said, the way it was written was written kind of poorly and there's yeah. set state everywhere. We don't have some kind of solid state management solution there. So I said, let's just use something over here. Um, and then he, he did something and he said, okay, it's still not working there. I got these bugs over here. And I said, what does this piece over here do? And his reply was, uh, oh, uh, I don't know. It was, it was like this when it was already there. So I just kind of copied and pasted it and left it. And I'm like, yeah. You work this for like a week, man. You, uh, I'm, I'm really looking for you to say, hey, uh, this piece, maybe I need some help understanding or something like that, rather than just saying, yeah, I don't yeah. know what it does. I just kind of left it over here. That to me just means that could be where the bug is, right? Yeah, yeah, you have exactly. no idea what it's doing. What I've seen like a lot of people do and what I don't think is probably the correct way of doing it is uh, like when you don't understand a part, you a lot of the time you go to Stack Overflow or a help forum or whatever and you get a piece of code and you copy it and you paste it and it works and now you're happy with that and you move on and i personally don't feel like that's the right solution i would argue that it's a lot better to use that as a reference and that's what i use like 
when I worked at like Volvo, we worked on uh, a lot of pieces of code or functionality that nobody has ever written like questions for, because these were like large corporations, like doing, um, working on Android, like AOSP with piece of code that typical, like typical developers don't usually do on their free time. And so there's not a lot of people like writing Stack Overflow solutions for it. There's like not a lot of times where you have a piece of code that you can just copy and paste and it works. Uh, so what I heavily did was using a lot of different references, kind of coming up with my own solution and then implementing that. And you get a lot better understanding of both the the question that you're trying to solve or the the problem you're trying to solve, as well as coming up with a better solution that's probably not currently present on like a complete answer on Stack Overflow or on any other parts of the code base. Um, and that's one way of improving as well. That's the part that I always feel very strange, right? Because I'm definitely the same with you where it's like, I just use these solutions as references because yeah. you know, your data model is probably gonna be different than apps, right? Even though you may have a user, yeah. but what is a user in a consciousness versus a user in uh, you know, like yeah. your, your Volvo, right? how can you just copy and paste code from somewhere and just expect it to work? Like, but yeah. it's surprisingly, I ran into quite a lot of these people and usually they're very beginners and they're, they're just yeah. kind of encoding because they hear it's the hot thing to do. And yeah. these coding schools lie to them and say, Oh yeah. Imagine this at the end of our coding school, you're going to be making six figures and you're going to be laying on the beach yeah. writing code for three minutes a day and you're going to enjoy the beach. What? Nobody's doing that. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen this on like Twitter as well. Like, I've seen more and more like people just saying that the more senior you become, the more like the better you are at searching for solutions and sure you are. And then they also say something like something between the lines of um, what you do when you're senior is just um, searching for the solution. You come with the solution, you copy paste and then paste it or paste it, the solution. And it works and then you move on. And the more senior you are, the more fast you are to come into that solution. And I feel like that's like, Personally, that's completely wrong. And that's just a, a headache for the next developer. And like usually a part where you will probably have a bunch of bugs in your, your software that you just copy pasted into your project. I'm still lost. This part that people just think copying and pasting is the solution. And yeah. I guess maybe Stack Overflow didn't also help them help their own case when they came up with that uh, joke of a copy paste button or what is it? Copy button or paste button? Yeah. Uh, but but kind of going back to your course, uh, Mike asks, um, did you have to do a lot of reshoots to keep the course videos up to date? Because he knows that Andrea has mentioned that's one of the hardest parts of making the video courses. Yeah. So one of the goals that I had when making a course was uh, like when I when I worked on the course, Flutter like Riverpod was one of the I guess the the most brutal part of the course, if that makes sense. Like every time you make a course, the more dependencies you have, the more parts of the course can break. Um, and I guess um, that's one of the things that I want to minimize as much as possible, because first, I don't feel like teaching a specific package is not like the end goal. Uh, like if you want to use Equatable for like um, overriding the, the copy with method and so on, that's not a not something I need to teach an intermediate person. If you want to use a already made solution, that's up to them. Um, so I want to remove as much of like parts that I feel like it's not necessary, like necessary to know in regards to what I want to teach. Um, so one of the, at least like all of the packages that I use, one of the most brittle one was Riverpod because that one is the most one 
like getting most updates, that most breaking changes. Um, so I actually like during like when I made a course, um, I aimed it to be um, using Riverpod 1.0. Um, and when I like started with making the course, it was like 1.0 was the dev version. So I recorded using the dev version and uh, um, hoping that not too much, like too many things would change. Uh, and there were some breaking changes. I had to re-record a bunch of videos. Um, and I guess that's kind of still the most annoying part. Like when Riverpod 2.0 comes comes out, uh, I've been thought like, should I re-record those parts or should I record an updated video, like refactoring the project to use Riverpod 2.0 and things like that. Um, and I think in general, that's one of the, I guess that's one of the toughest things with courses, keeping them updated. And I think you, it's really hard getting away with that. Um, I feel like you just, depending on what you kind of want to make, you just have to, have to do it or take the course down, in my opinion. If the course is not updated and you're charging money for it, I think you, it, it would be better to just take the course down and update it or, I don't know, lower the price to zero or, or whatever. Like personally, I can't, I can't charge for something that's not updated. And that's just my opinion. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I, can, I, I guess that's still one of the most annoying parts with making courses. And one of the reasons why I hesitated making a course as well to, to start off with. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, right? Yeah. Um, actually, I'm kind of curious, maybe you can give me some insight. Like, why is everybody floating to Riverpod? It seems like if you're not using Riverpod, you're just not one of the cool kids or, or something. Like everybody's doing videos with yeah. Riverpod. Um, so I, I've used a couple of different solutions in regards to, to that. So when I started off with Flutter, there weren't a lot of solutions. I used uh, I used inherited widgets and I used streams. That was kind of like the the OG block solution, I guess. Um, and then a lot of said state passing props, imagine like realizing that it's a pain sometimes when project grows and you have to, yeah, go with the like original block kind of pattern. And then, so I, I've always been driven to, or, uh, wanted to work towards like inherited widget kind of solutions where you have used, you just have a class, you pass it down like the widget tree and you can use that class in the widget tree. Um, and that's, uh, a bit later that time, like provider was released and I used provider and like a, a original block solution. And I used that for quite a while. So I got quite comfortable with like streams and, uh, RX start and things like that. Um, and then moving like later, I used provider and change notifier, uh, like change notifier in some regards, but in some cases I didn't. Um, and then I like saw, uh, I guess value notify or I saw kind of value notify at the same time, but state, uh, state notify and things like that. Um, and it kind of used, or I kind of draw towards making things as immutable as possible. And then the only thing left that I felt was annoying was testing, um, and the annoying part with testing was that when you use like inherited widget or provider, you don't get any, I guess, compile safety to know which kind of things you need to override or um, is that kind of 
provider or inherited widget instantiated with the new this new class that you want to use in testing or whatever. I feel that was the biggest annoyances from from my side. And then um, Remedy announced kind of Riverpod, and I was testing it out like I guess very early in in case of when he actually released it. I think it was the first version, like 0.1 or something like that. And that's kind of the time uh, I got completely hooked to it. And it wasn't because the way you um, use it in general, it was like the, the main parts that I thought was making it worth it was the uh, the testing aspect. Like you, you, you don't have the same issues with uh, Riverpod as like providing a widget where providers that are not like defined when you're trying to make a test because then you would have a compiler in the code and you would notice it right away. You don't have to kind of read error messages saying like this provider is not like uh, instantiated or whatever. Um, so in terms where I kind of got stuck with Riverpod was I'm pretty much using it the way I would use inherit widget or provider, but I'm using it in a more, I guess, compile safe and easier testable way. And that's personally the drive I wanted to have. I don't, I don't want to make code completely like dependent on a, a kind of a, a state management solution. I want to keep that as abstract as like as possible if i want to change out Riverpod, if i feel like it doesn't make too much sense in version like 3.0 i don't want to have a headache when moving to inherited widget or provider or like any kind of more simple kind of solution but yeah the main the main parts that i that I like about it is the the compile safety in most like everywhere and then testing yeah, testing is a little bit odd for me because I'm so used to yeah. block with block provider. It just makes it easy. Yeah. Okay, just wrap this block on it and then I can test those set of widgets. Yeah. But for for the for Riverpod, like you have to do a scope uh, provider yeah. or something like that. That's the weirdest part for me, but it's okay. That's the only thing you need yeah. to do to test it, for, at least for the UI stuff. Yeah. And I think the other stuff, you can just test it directly, right? Yeah, for sure. So, like, I, I guess the... For like for simplicity, I really like how you kind of compose, uh, or how you can create like, how do you call it, uh, like dependency injection where you pass classes to to the the state classes and things like that. Uh, but like I've looked into other solutions such as Gedit as well, and I feel like Gedit is super easy to use. But as soon as you get into testing, it usually becomes you have to be kind of aware that get it is kind of a singleton-ish pattern and you have to like uh, set up the, the, um, the locator and tear it down like between each test and you have to be aware that does this test work if you um, like if you're testing a file with uh, a lot of different usages of like providers or uh, locators or whatever does it work if you randomize the order of the test does it work if you do, do the normal order of the test and things like that and I and I find that when I'm using Riverpod, I don't have to care about that at all. It just kind of works um, compared to other solutions where what I've seen projects using get it. When I randomize the order of the test, they they break apart because they are depending like they depending on uh, classes between between tests, um, and it's really hard to actually notice until you actually 
test it out. And that kind of s- explains why sometimes you just test fails and things like that. But I'm guessing the one solution you're not going to be happy with, and I think everybody also rallies around this, which is probably Git X, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think I don't typically put too much like personal thought like regarding if GetX like get is good or bad. Uh, the main reason I don't use GetX is probably what most people that don't use GetX um, thinks is that it, it does quite a lot of things. Uh, you kind of replace the way you make Flutter apps by making GetX apps, if that makes sense. Um, because it kind of, it dabbles in a lot of different asp- like aspects of making a Flutter application. It dabbles in uh, how you should keep state, how you should update UI, how you should um, handle caching, how you should handle navigation, how you should not handle context, <laughs> and kind of goes on and on. And personally, I don't want that kind of dependency in my project because if something happens with GetX or if something changes with Flutter that GetX does not support, you're like completely stuck on that version until it's supported or until someone makes a fork or anything like that. Um, and that's usually not a place where I want to keep my project because um, I, I personally don't want to be stuck in a situation where something updates and now I need to be stuck for multiple weeks to just make that project work with the latest version again. Um, but yeah, I guess it's up to, to each individual. And I guess what I, what is most important is that everyone kind of understands the, the upsides and downsides of using any kind of package. Yeah. I've always heard that GitX kind of hides a lot of what, what makes flutter flutter, yeah. something like that. So yeah, that, that makes sense that, yeah, you would be screwed if there was a big change that GitX no longer worked and you'd be kind of relying on somebody to fix it for you. Yeah. And I guess like in terms of like, because GetX is that big, it's probably not that big of a chance something breaks and it won't ever be fixed again. Like it will probably be fixed. Someone will probably make a pull request and fix it. Um, but if that takes too long and you're reliant on making updates to the to the app and you need that latest Flutter version or you need that latest X version, but it doesn't work with that package anymore, then you have to be aware that a lot of time will be spent on things that you you don't want to work on in general, I guess. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Uh, back to your course, right? Maybe we can talk more about a high level about you know what's exactly in it. So you definitely go over state management. You go over, I believe, how to uh, manage your code, right? How to actually structure yeah. everything. That I think was probably yeah. the trickiest part, I think, because you had yeah. to explicitly keep talking about um, some pattern. I forgot what the name of the pattern was. Yeah. So what I use, um, like in all projects that I create in general, and that I that I, that kind of depends on the company uh, sometimes because I can't just refactor the whole project to use the pattern that I want to use. But what I what I advocate a lot for is to to use a kind of service repository service pattern. And that's not specific to like state management or anything like that. And state management in itself is very, very weird topic in general. But like in terms of architecture and code, um, I've noticed that having a re- like two classes where you one one class where you make the request and handle, um, or one part when you make a request, one class that calls that class and handles all of the exceptions, and then returns a 
a, a functional like programming style of handling errors uh, to the to the UI or to the class calling that service kind of reduces a lot of unnecessary boilerplate in the code that you don't usually want to have a lot of boilerplate. So for example, when you usually in projects, you, you call an API, you want to update something, you want to show a snack bar or whatever, if it fails and you want to do X, if it works, you usually don't want to handle a lot of edge cases when you call a class, if that makes sense. Uh, because in that, in, in usually what happens is that, uh, let's say you are in, let's say we have a normal method in our widget tree or whatever, you make a request to create a user. Let's say you wrapped it in a try catch. You have to handle, if you're using Firebase, you have to handle like the Firebase exception, uh, depending on those exceptions, you maybe want to display different messages. Then you have to handle socket exceptions, like what happens if you lose connection? Or in this case, Firebase kind of handles that for you because it has inbuilt caching. But in any other kind of API that doesn't have that automatically, you have to handle like socket exceptions. And maybe uh, if you write it to memory, then like any kind of exception that handles that. And that it comes quite bloated in, in code that you want to make sense and want to have clean. And by structuring it, like uh, structuring it out and just abstracting that part out where you don't want to handle it uh, makes a lot more sense. Um, and this doesn't have to be the way that I teach or the way that I use. There are a bunch of different solutions. I just personally find that this one has worked for me and has worked in a lot of projects that I worked on. And it's very consistent and very easy to kind of follow. Um, but yeah, I've made a, I think I made a, a, um, a blog post regarding it as well, trying to explain some basics of how it works and how you can actually use it. Um, and that can be find on, or found on my website as well. Yeah, I remember that was definitely a tricky part. And with your Slack, uh, a lot of people yeah. are asking questions and saying, what, what does this even mean? And you also linked yeah. to another blog post too that talked about this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So especially people coming from, what I've noticed, people coming from Android, like things like service, things like repository has different meaning depending on where you come from a background. Um, and that makes it probably the hardest part. Like for me to explain a, a, a pattern called like, repository service pattern. Now this, like just that name has a different, many people have different understanding. Okay, I need to create a service class, but a service class should do X. Okay, I need to do a repository class, but a repository class should do Y. Um, so that's kind of the hardest part. And that's why I also want to make a blog post trying to explain in my standpoint. And I guess that's was also um, like when the, I think when the skeleton template was made for Flutter. Uh, it was first like in a big GitHub, like pull request issue where we like, uh, I think Philip and others like worked on how, how that should actually be structured. Um, and I, I left my note and I, a lot of people like reading in general of kind of the, the meaning of different words. Uh, and I feel like that was probably the biggest even, uh, I guess, uh, hurdle in that conversation as well, but like, what does X mean? What does Y mean? What does uh, Z mean? Or and things like that. And I feel like it doesn't matter in the end, un, un, unless you have a solution that those names make sense for you. I guess. Yeah, I think um, 
the a lot of the patterns are probably coming from Java, actually. I don't know. That's what I feel like. Like Java set yeah. uh, this idea of lots of patterns. And so I think that service pattern, I think it's from Uncle Bob, no? Uh, I'm not completely sure where it actually originated from. Uh, what I've seen it used pretty much all the time was um, like .NET solutions or C-sharp.NET solutions. And that's kind of my where I started with development. And that's why it made sense for me. And that's why a lot of the times it doesn't make sense for an Android developer because the service is not what I use the service for. Um, and I feel like it's the main important part is to just understand what the name should mean and then kind of dropping, uh, I guess, your pre-understanding of what something should mean in that context. Uh, so a service will not always mean the same thing like everywhere you work on it. If you work on another solution, if you work on like a .NET uh, like application, a service will not be the same as an Android service. And you have to kind of just, um, kind of just understand that. Like the way um, I get, I guess the another kind of state management solution, the stacked architecture um, uses services in another way. And you just kind of have to, um, services used a word. Uh, so it's, it's really hard to kind of have a word that just works for everything. And you have to, kind of just roll with it, I guess. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough topic to, to, to kind of wrap your head around. I think I got you beat with, um, with Elixir and Erlang. Um, that, well, and so like when you have a library, right? It depends like with, with Dart, I mean, I guess you can call it library, but you should call it a dependency, I think. Yeah. Uh, with Python, they're called, they used to be called eggs and they were called, uh, I forgot now, whatever the hell names they got. And then Ruby is always gem. Yeah. Uh, these ones are okay. Like you, you kind of understand. Yeah. But um, for Erlang, because the name came from, from Erlang and trickled onto Elixir, which is um, every library that you would call or dependency, they actually call them application. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's even more confusing because like yeah. you actually had to start up your, you had to start other applications before your own application because your application yeah. depends on those applications. And so for that one, it's even more tricky because now you're just confused because everything, basically application, I think is the one word that everybody agrees that they know what yeah. that thing is. Yeah. <laughs> but for some reason they decided to use that word. And so it gets yeah. even more confusing. So that, yeah. that that's the, the tricky one. So I'm happy that we're not using the word application yeah. in any kind of design pattern that I've heard of before. Yeah. But yeah, namings, like naming conventions, things like that always kind of happen. And then I feel like the, the most important part for me is to realize that, sure, I use service a, a, a specific way, but that's not always what a service will do. In another kind of project, a service may mean something else. And I used to have to figure that out and then use it that way instead. Yeah. So basically contextual based uh, yeah, names, sure. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's... Well, say one of the hardest parts of computer science is naming things, yeah. right? It's one of the two. <laughs> yeah. So for some reason, naming things, I think, is always there, but the other one is like, it depends on who you're talking to and which language you're talking yeah. about. But, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, um, okay, so, I mean, basically, your course is like going from basically zero to, of course, a traditional hero, zero to production for Flutter. Yeah. And you, you chose the tools, so it's basically what... That was, I think, basically what you would do for any kind of application, yeah. right? So this is really saying, okay, you know, look at what I do, you know, not yeah. like trying to show up, but this is what, this is how I do it. Because that's also a question yeah. you get a lot of times too, is how do you do it? 
Yeah. And so and that's I, what you're answering the question for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I want to do that. And I also want to, I try to do that as much as possible in, in the course. And it's really hard to kind of formulate when making videos in general, but I want to iterate on like, I didn't want to just hand everything like a complete project. And now, now you're done. Now you move on to the next project. I want to iterate on parts where refactoring makes sense, uh, trying things out in the project to kind of get the solutions that you want. I don't want to like, you want like the hard, the hard truth with any kind of video or course or whatever. If you just watch the course, you will not learn pretty much anything. You may, you may get an understanding of some new pieces of like ways to do things, but most of the times you will forget those like the next day if you don't try and using them. And that's like, and that's, I guess, true for like programming in general, like the way most people learn code is to actually code and not just watch videos. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of coders or developers in general are stuck in like things like tutorial hell where you just kind of watch the next video, watch the next video, watch the next video. Um, and then that was kind of one segue to why I want to make the course shorter and then try to make people more active in trying things out. I kind of just want to leave a, a, a good foundation and then you can build, you can refactor, you can learn, and then you can, um, like in this case, we, there is a Slack, like Slack channel for the course. And then in this case, kind of talk with other, um, like kind of like-minded people, see how they want to solve a specific solution, how they want to, um, yeah, kind of just kind of interacting and learning things that is not like watching a video, completing a video, watching a video, completing a video. And that's really hard to do in general online without doing consultants like or tutoring sessions, if that makes sense. Uh, and that was one of like one of the goals as well. Now, do you think you actually completed that goal? Because I think that's a really hard one to go because people will yeah. always just follow the tutorial line by yeah. line and then just say, OK, give me the next one. Like you said, tutorial. Help. Yeah, I think to some degree uh, I was successful in doing that. I think a lot of people like are 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 active asking questions, teaching others how they solve the specific issue. But in some, t like some regards, no, that that's not like, it's really hard in, in general to solve that kind of issue. And that's not something that I will like, I can't say that I make a course and that course will like remove you from tutorial hell or anything like that. Like you have to, whatever kind of course or video you end up watching, you have to kind of have your own kind of drive to learn things and then try things out. And that's not something a course or video or anything in general can use, like force you to do. Um, of course it can nudge you in the right direction and that's kind of my goal. And I, I think I've uh, completed that in some regards and some, some not. And I want to kind of hopefully improve that on like next courses or updates on the course. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something I will always kind of be driven towards. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that change has to come from within, right? I mean, it's hard to yeah. to make somebody do like that. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, well, now that this course is basically done and out the door, like, what's your your next step? Is it that now Favorite Part 2 is coming out, so now, now you need to make a choice about how you want to update your course? Yeah. So I have a couple of plans. First, I want to do some kind of update to the course, depending on Revit Part 2. Um, and as the course is um, made in the way it is, it's... It's a lot easier for me to update, um, but I still have to figure out in what way I want to update it. Uh, but that, that's one of the first things that I aim towards. I also aim towards making more 
kind of bonus content in the course as well, trying to cover more like specific issues that doesn't follow like the the creating the project flow. That means that that video would be more standalone kind of. Um, so that's two two goals for this current course that I have, and then I have plans on making other courses and videos in general. But I'm kind of after making that course, I got kind of burned out. But I want to make um, more cheaper accessible courses that still holds up to the quality, but is um, not as many lectures and it's not kind of project driven, if that makes sense. Because that kind of comes with its own kind of set of challenges. Um, and one of those is kind of a Git, uh, Git course. And the way, um, in this case, not using, or in this case, using like the terminal to accomplish the things you want with Git and teaching things that may not be too, too apparent to most Git users in general. But yeah, I'm still figuring out what I kind of wanted to do. And then I have some plans on what I want to do. It's kind of have to chill for a bit, hopefully update the course really soon. And then depending on that, kind of figure out what I want to do for the next course. Or if I want to focus more on making free, con uh, free content in general. Kind of depends. Now, if you want to see what you decide to do, should we be following you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, so anything that I, I release or announce or anything like that will be Probably posted on Twitter, probably posted on YouTube or like any place where my, my name is, I guess. Uh, but yeah, Twitter or YouTube is probably the main places where, where I will announce anything that is, I guess, major or anything that is minor <laughs> as well. Uh, I see. Yeah, uh, I think I have one last question for you, which is yeah? who... Um, who helped you to design your little uh, character? And what's the story with having the, the, uh, the character? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess when making videos, I want a way to make videos more fun and more interesting to watch. Um, and my girlfriend had the idea of having a, a kind of character in the video. Um, and she does a lot of 3D modeling and, and like painting on the side. So she, she painted them for me. And then that kind of just escalated. I tried to like continue using them. And then I, then I wanted more of the characters and then she painted some more. And then, yeah. So it's my, my, it's my girlfriend doing all of those kind of characters. And then it's just kind of been incorporated into the brand, I guess. So that's why I continue using them as well. Now, do you use it because you like it or do you use it because your girlfriend did it or is it kind of both? Or in, in, um, uh, it's okay. I, I won't let her know that yeah. you're on the podcast so she won't hear the answer. Personally, I use it mostly because I think they, they add a bit of fun character to, to otherwise boring tutorials. Um, and then it's, it makes me more fun as well because then my, my girlfriend can kind of help me regards to, to, to do the videos in general and she wants to help as well. So it's kind of, kind of win-win in both situations, I guess. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, maybe I should also have a cartoon character. I feel like that's also another thing that's kind of catching up with some people in the community. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of people start using it as well. But yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, I like seeing like anything that's not a typical tutorial is probably the the way to go right now. I personally don't watch normal tutorials anymore. I don't watch tutorials that much in general, but I have a really hard time trying to watch a tutorial if I'm not entertained in any kind of way. Uh, okay. So you have to have like uh, some 
some something exciting happen, right? Yeah, kind of. Uh, usually, if if I'm just trying to find a solution to something, I just Google it or search for a kind of solution. I typically don't watch a a whole video to learn a new concept or things like that. Um, kind of depends. Um, if there is the, sometimes it's it can, it's valuable as well. Um, but personally, from my my side to to making videos, I used to think it's more fun to do the videos in general that way. Yeah, I like watching videos more than anything else. But the one thing that really uh, makes me upset is like when I find a video about a topic I really want to learn. Yeah. And and the topic is in English and the title, and I open up and it's in Hindi. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I guess that was yeah, that would pretty much always be in development. I guess a lot of people in India is more prominent in in coding in general compared to other language or other countries. Like the the amount of people, at least. Well, I just wish that they at least market, you know, in Hindi or something, right? It's very interesting that yeah. the I guess they do it for SEO to get to get more people. And I think when you're, yeah. even if you want it in Hindi, you still search for an English because it's like, how do you write Hindi for some of these terms? Maybe I, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever yeah, it is, true. it's like, it's just let me know somewhere in the title <laughs> or something saying in Hindi or something. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like I open up and I'm like, what the hell is going on over here? <laughs> Okay, that's a waste of time. And then usually it's usually there's only like two or three, if if they're even that, and they're all in Hindi or some other Indian language. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I got to go back to reading now. For sure. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hear about your you know updates to your course, right? And I did hear about Ripperpod 2.0, but I haven't seen yeah. anything about it, so I'll have to go ahead and check it out too. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we sign off? Um, no, I don't think so. I think Reza Coder just released a like full hour video on Reopod Tomato. I haven't watched it, but uh, that may be interesting for some at least. Yeah, I saw that also. Uh, I did saw that pop up in my feed. I haven't watched it yet yeah. because I don't really use Ripperpod, but maybe I will. Maybe it'd be better. I don't know. Do you have any ideas about what uh, what's the differences? Uh, no, I, like I've seen just some small parts. Uh, to me, it doesn't feel like too big of changes, um, but yeah, I can. I would probably have to look into it and then I would be confused of all of the big changes. So after, uh, like, let's see what's, what's a change later on. So you got to dial Remy up on speed dial then to figure out what's going on over here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> or I will just uh, stick with more of the simple solutions of it. We'll see. Okay. Or well, I thought maybe just stick to 1.0 and just, just uh, pin, <laughs> pin it to that yeah, version. Yeah. <laughs> pin that version and never move on. <laughs> Okay. Anyways, it's great to have you on. I'm glad that we finally got a chance yeah. to, to catch up. Um, yeah, for sure. Super happy to join. Yeah, thanks for your time. And I'm looking forward to the updates. And then uh, I'll have to check it out. Hopefully the video, this release will come out at the same time. So it'll be a good, yeah. good exposure for you. For sure. Thanks, thanks. Okay, thank you.